Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Dogs are one of humanity's greatest companions, and, let's be honest, one of our longest-running evolutionary experiments. Over hundreds and thousands of years, we have selectively bred dogs, tinkering with their genomes to meet both our needs and our whims. But how many of those complex behaviours they display are due to genetic factors? This is an interesting question, and one that is incredibly difficult to answer. But it is the question that's addressed in today's paper. Genetic Dissection of Complex Behaviour Traits in German Shepherd Dogs Now, having grown up in a household bursting at the seams with dogs, some with, let's say, interesting mannerisms, I find this paper fascinating. And as a result, the episode is a bit longer than usual. So let's get right into it. The first thing that would be great is if you could each go around and just introduce yourselves in the way that you would best like to be introduced. I'm Pam Wiener from Rosslyn Institute. I'm a group leader. Yeah, uh, my name is Juliane Friedrich, um, and I'm the postdoc who worked on this project. Uh, and my name is Marie Haskell. I'm working with the Scotland's Rural College, or SAUC, and my um, speciality is animal behaviour and welfare. So welcome all to the Heredity Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this new paper. And one thing that's really interesting about it is that it is about the genetics of behaviour, which often I don't think we necessarily consider that heavily. So I wonder if you could just generally explain the interaction between genetics and behaviour as we know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, as you already said, it's something we normally don't really consider. Because with physiological traits, um, it is obvious that the variation we observe between individuals has both an environmental effect and also a genetic effect. But this is also true for behavior. So we have a lot of environmental factors that contribute to variations, and we also have genetic factors influencing the trait itself. Behavior, or specifically behavior genetics, is a quite complex topic. First of all, as I said, because we have a lot of environmental factors influencing the trait itself and just a small amount of the variation we observe is due to genetics. What we learned from our studies is that on average, only 10% of the variation observed between individuals is due to genetics. Another interesting fact is that um, we are not expecting single genetic variants to have a large impact on behavior. We rather talk about a lot of genetic variants that have a small effect on behavior. Perhaps another factor that limits the number of studies that one sees in the literature is that it's pretty difficult to get the data, especially for a genetic study of a quantitative trait. You would normally need a lot of samples that were measured, and it's quite difficult compared to most physiological traits. I would say it's pretty difficult to get this kind of behavioral data. Yes, in a, in a typical behavioral study, you like to have a single experimenter and the animal in a kind of uh, standardized setup, and you can, you know, then you test the behavior and record it in a standardized way. But, you know, in a standard behavior trial, we're talking about, you know, tens of animals, 50 if you're lucky. And actually for a genetic study, you obviously need hundreds or even thousands of animals. So the approach we took in this study where we were using a survey uh, allowed us to create a larger sample size than we would normally do in a typical behaviour study. It does sound really interesting, and, and I definitely want to get into that survey in a minute. But one thing that I'm kind of curious about is you were talking there about this being really quite a difficult kind of study to conduct. The effect these genes are having are quite subtle, it's very complex, there's other factors involved. So what's the benefit in really teasing apart the underlying genetics of behavior? 
Well, I suppose from a you know owner and dog point of view, we really would like to know what's underlying these behaviours. So yeah, we can learn a lot about environmental factors, the management, the way we keep dogs, its experience. But getting into the genetics will really allow us to understand what the difference between breeds, what the difference between substrates and the breeds are. You know, understanding the genetic structure might allow us to construct breeding programs better or so on. I mean, one one important feature is that there may not be a strong genetic factor. And without mm. a study like this, it's it's hard to know that. And if there really isn't a strong influence of genetics, then that means if there's, say, problem behaviors in dogs that owners would like to know what to do about, then if there really isn't any evidence for genetic influence, then it's got to be some kind of environmental changes that would be made to try and address the problem. It's also interesting to get new insights into the general background of behavior, into the general genetic and biological background of behavior, for example, also when it comes to psychological conditions in humans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is it is genuinely quite fascinating. And having come from a house with a lot of dogs, you're right, there is a lot of discussion about the behavioral traits of different breeds and it's always discussed in a way that implies that there's a genetic basis, even if people aren't explicitly talking about genetics. And I guess in this study, you decided to focus on German Shepherds. And I wonder why it was that you chose this breed over all of the other dog breeds. Um, well, let me back up a little bit in time, because this is actually a second study that we've conducted on genetics of behavior traits in dogs. And originally, we looked at Labrador Retrievers, which was kind of sideline from the main part of that project, but we managed to collect a lot of questionnaire information on these Labradors and did a study on that. What we really wanted to do was to broaden our consideration of dogs, and so we wanted to look at a breed that was quite different from Labradors, but also a breed in which there are a lot of such dogs around so that we could get a reasonable sample size. Yeah, so a dog that was there's a lot of, basically, and which was at least different from Labrador Retrievers. So I guess that was basically how we ended up with the German Shepherd. Yes, and the other thing was, I suppose, in the Labrador Retriever study, well, we discovered that there was a, a big effect in the genes and in the in the behaviour of the role of the dog. So there's there almost seem to be subpopulations of pet dogs and working dogs. And with German Shepherds, there's also dogs that are working dogs as well as pet dogs. So we were also trying to follow that part of it up as well. Oh, fascinating. And I guess this is a really good time to move straight into what it was you were actually doing in the study because it does sound quite complex and I'm not entirely sure how you go about it. So what sort of methods did you take to study the behavior, study the genetics and try and combine them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, um, the first step in the whole study was obviously to... Um, get the phenotypic information so on the dog's behavior and also information on the dog's lifestyle and environment. So we sent out online questionnaires to, I think it was, yeah, over a thousand dog owners in the UK. So, that was all all Kennel Club registered German Shepherd yeah. dogs over the age of two, two years. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were all invited <laughs> to participate, yeah. Um, yeah, and the questionnaires were quite complex. Um, the Seabark uh, was the questionnaire on, on the dog's temperament, and it's a well-established questionnaire and contains over 100 different questions. And the Lifestyle Questionnaire was a survey we developed, and it also included a lot of different questions, um, starting with 
information on the dog itself, so the gender, the, the household the dog lives, the amount of exercise, the training the dog received, different questions regarding socialization uh, when the dog was a puppy and so on. So this was basically the first part of the whole um, project to yeah, gather this information. And the second and um, also very time-consuming part of the project was to condense these questions and use the information we got to basically fit a statistical model that explains the variation we see in the behavior characteristics. So um, we started with analyzing the different environmental effects and their influence on behavior and um, published the first paper on this. And um, we used the information we got from this in our genetic model. So we basically fitted for every behavior trait a specific model that corrects for specific environmental factors and um, estimated the heritabilities of the different behavior traits. And the final step was then the conduct of an association analysis where we looked for associations between genetic variants and the behaviour traits. Yes, yeah, so as well as the two surveys, we had to ask people to send in a, a cheek swab of their dog to get the DNA mm -hmm. and then we all of the analysis was done of, of that to collect the genotypes. Oh, fantastic. And you might have already said, but how many people completed all of these steps for you? Um, so the questionnaire was completed by over a thousand dog owners and um, we got DNA samples back or saliva samples back from over 400 dog owners. But then um, due to the number, we were basically estimating or we, we, we needed a higher number of participants. Yeah, so we, we didn't get as many saliva samples back as we had hoped. So then we spoke to some collaborators in Sweden who are associated with the um, Swedish Armed Forces, so working dogs primarily, and they agreed to collaborate with us. So they provided approximately half of the samples. So we also then had to translate the questionnaires into Swedish. So that was bit complex. Yeah, that was challenging. That was an extra <laughs> challenge. They already had, they'd already worked with Seabark, so that, they had already translated that, but our lifestyle questionnaire had to mm. be translated. Fantastic. I mean, it, it's great to hear how many people were getting involved in this. I think it shows how interested people are in this kind of study, but it's, it's hard to miss how much effort you were putting into this, but it kind of paid off and you did find some interesting associations. So I wonder if you could just explain what kind of genetically linked behaviors you were finding. So, well, so there were two sets of, of results, the heritability results and the genomic association results. The strongest association we had or the highest heritability was for human directed playfulness. That was quite a high heritability for a behavioral trait. And then there were several regions um, that showed association. Julian. What I haven't mentioned is that we applied basically two different association tests, uh, genomic association analysis, which is the standard test. And then we also applied the regional heritability mapping where we tested for a set of SNPs and their association to the behavior trait um, in contrast to only a single SNP. And for both analyses, we found overlapping regions that were associated with traits and um, the highest signal we picked up with the highest 
significance was a region on chromosome 33 for attachment and attention seeking. Um, the problem with this region is, or not the problem, but what there are non annotated genes so far. So um, it seems to be a really interesting region, but we cannot really say why yet. What is a really interesting candidate gene in my eyes is the variant we found um, close to a gene that is somehow associated with touch sensitivity. So this signal was in our study associated with touch sensitivity in dogs, which is a trait that characterizes when a dog showed fearful or aggressive reactions when it was groomed. And um, interestingly, the same variant or the same gene was also associated with the sensitivity of skin in mice. So um, I think this is a really interesting and strong and very specific candidate gene. Fantastic. It sounds like a lot of these might be very heavily associated with domestication in general. Do you think it's sort of the associations that you're finding are quite broadly applicable? Um, of course, we compared our results to other association studies in dogs and we didn't pick up the same signals. There are many reasons for this. One major reason is probably the way we measured behavior or the behavior traits we looked into. So they are um, different between studies and then other studies primarily focused on many breeds and their behavior. And um, we only focused on one breed. But then there were some overlaps. As I said, there are overlaps or some of the candidate genes we found have been also described in other species in mice. Um, some of the candidate genes or actually a lot of the candidate genes have been described for psychological um, disorders or behavior traits in humans. I mean, part of the problem is when you look at candidate genes, if you have a particular region and you look at the genes in that region, it's hard sometimes to make too many conclusions about the actual functions of the genes with regard to behavior because, as we said back in the beginning, behavior genetics a difficult field. And I would say overall, the annotations of genomes is pretty poor with regard to how the genes influence behavior. There's just not that much information about it. So it's it's hard to know too much about what's underlying some of these effects and whether they are shared across species because I think the data is just not there yet, although the information is, is accumulating over time. And maybe just one more thing, because you mentioned um, domestication. And we know the domesticated dog has been selected for attachment to humans, for positive behavior towards humans. And that's actually also something we see in the analysis because, as Pam already said, we found the highest heritability for traits that have to do with human contact. So human-directed playfulness and also stranger-directed interest. And the peak I mentioned for the trait attachment attention-seeking, which was the most significant in our study. Study, again, has to do with the behavior of the dogs towards humans. So this is actually also a very interesting finding. Yeah, definitely. It's it's fascinating. And I guess you mentioned how difficult it is to actually figure out what some of these genes are doing, but you have found some really cool associations. And I wonder what you think the sort of key message in this paper is. Well, one, one thing that I personally think is important is that I think people have shied away from, from studying behavior genetics because of the, the difficulties, the complexity, or all these other kind of negative factors. But I think what we've shown is that you can capture information using a questionnaire, which oh, there's lots of worries about, about using questionnaires and that they might be too subjective. But the fact that, that we find 
significant heritabilities suggests that the questionnaire is actually detecting real effects. And the bonus of using questionnaire data is that we can collect large amounts of information so that we can potentially work with large sample sizes as are are required for this kind of genetic study. And we take advantage of the fact that dog owners know their dog's behavior very well. Yeah, I, I also like the fact that, you know, you can do a study like this where you're looking at the, the behavior of the dog and then relating it to the genes. And we found some positive results. And it's very interesting that some of the genes that come out are very associated with the dog's role. And it's what we have bred that particular breed for. So perhaps to be interactive with humans, to be interested in in the commands they give and so forth. And that's really interesting that as well long-term breeders of dogs over the millennium, perhaps we have been able to influence the genetic makeup of the dog and it reflects the requirements we have. I suppose that's also comparing what we found in the other breed of dog, the Labrador Retriever, where we found a very strong uh, heritability for a trait for retrieving or fetching, which is no surprise really. But it does indicate that, you know, our breeding programs for specific behaviours have really influenced not only the behaviour, but also the genetic makeup of the dogs. It is very interesting. And it's also, I find it quite interesting that you mentioned one of the take-homes is actually the methods, because obviously that's kind of what heredity is going for, are these sort of like really fascinating studies that come up with really good data on individual systems, but have incredibly broad appeal. And uh, yeah, I reckon there is quite a lot that people could learn from this kind of study about blending these information sources. But I kind of wonder if you, any of you have dogs, and whether or not conducting this kind of research makes you look at them in the way they're behaving any differently. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. um, um, yeah, I I personally have a dog, and I I mean um, I have a terrier. Oh, I've had <laughs> and, them before. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, basically, I mean that a lot of his behavior is in his genes as an excuse for many of his um, <laughs> of his of his originalities. I would say, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we we have a Labrador at home. So when we did the Labrador study, I was always looking at him and thinking, oh, right, okay. So that explains <laughs> where you are completely focused on chasing things and retrieving things all in the genes. But uh, it's also interesting what is not in the genes, mm-hmm. that some of these things that we find annoying or adorable are actually purely environmental. So that's quite interesting as well. Yes, I think that is Doing this kind of work has definitely made me look at both the genetic and the non-genetic factors that that could be influencing my dog. She's a miniature schnauzer, and definitely think that there are a lot of non-genetic uh, factors involved in her behavior. Yeah, I have owned a lot of dogs as well, and when I was reading this, it's very difficult not to uh, stop and have a think about every either adorable or insanely annoying trait that your pets have had over, <laughs> over time, and just wonder if there is a genetic component there, so you should maybe cut them a bit of slack. Yeah, <laughs> Perfect. Well, that is um, all that I had to ask. Um, just to finish up, could you remind us what your paper is called, and also tell us about your co-authors and collaborators who contributed to this work? The paper is called Genetic Dissection of Complex Behavior Traits in German Shepherd Dogs. And we had collaborators in Sweden, as we mentioned, Erling Strandberg from the SLU and Per Orvelius from the Swedish Armed Forces. And then at Roslyn, we had collaborators 
who were all quantitative geneticists, Enrique Sanchez Milano, Ricardo Pongwong, and John Hickey. I, I would like to mention that, that the funding for our project came from the Dogs Trust charity, and I, I would like to acknowledge their generous support. Well, thank you very much all for taking the time to speak to us and share this work. It is really interesting, and I really hope that people, whether they're cat or dog people, will go and have a read of it. We'll not hold that against them if they're they're cat people. (laughs) Thanks to Juliana, Marie, and Pam. Please do go and read their paper. It is a great study. Juliana has also written a really interesting Nature Community blog post on this work. We'll put a link to that in the podcast description. But for now, that's us. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast on all good podcast platforms, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Tune in next time.